Hello, and welcome back to Eco Insights. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe Young. And I'm Georgia Scott. And today we're here with Jamie Simone, who's the Deputy Commissioner for Strategic Initiatives at the Chicago Department of Transportation. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Jamie. And do you mind by just starting off by telling us a bit about yourself? Sure, and thank you for having me. Um, As you said, my name is Jamie Simone, and I am with the Chicago Department of Transportation. Um, My, uh, let's see, I live in the city of Chicago with my family. I have two children, so it's like the personal side. Um, Professionally, I've been working in the field of urban planning since 2004. That's when I got my master's degree from University of Illinois at Chicago. And I've had a variety of roles in the field since then. Um, I started at a small architecture and planning firm called FAR Associates. Then I worked for the local chamber of commerce in my neighborhood. Um, Then I worked at the Trust for Public Land, which is a national land conservation organization. And I ran the urban parks program um, for the Chicago office. Then I worked for the um, Illinois Department of Transportation. Um, Then I worked back again in the private sector at a firm called Sam Schwartz, where I was working closely with CTA on a big project that they were working on. And for the past almost exactly two years, I've been with the Department of Transportation, again, as the Deputy Commissioner for Strategic Initiatives. Um, And before I got my master's degree, I worked for about three years in social services because I have a bachelor's of arts in social work. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And you touched on urban planning and, you know, that's a large part of your career. So could you please explain what urban planning is as well as why it's important? Sure. Um, Urban planning really has a lot to do with the built environment. Um, You know, when you look around your neighborhood or your city, all the things that you see where they are and why is really all about urban planning, whether that's transportation, where houses are located, where apartment buildings are located, um, how you get from point A to point B, um, all of the physical and policy decisions that are made about cities really fall under um, urban planning. Um, And it's important because it really does dictate a lot of your day-to-day without you really thinking about it. So where you live and wake up and then you go to school or you go to work, um, where you go grocery shopping, where's the library, how do you get to your friend's house? How close is it to an airport? How do you get to other places in the country and in the world? All those kind of locational things are urban planning related, Um, as well as some of the more policy decisions like where should there be bus stops located? Where should the bus routes go? Um, In Chicago, we have a shared bike system called Divi. Where should those stations be located? How much should they cost? So there are a lot of different things that fall under urban planning. And as I said, it's important because All those things, in my opinion anyway, add up to the quality of life in a given place. And so urban planning is really important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole kind of field of urban planning was really recently introduced to me um, kind of through a book actually written by Douglas Farr, who you kind of mentioned you worked for um, in Mm -hmm. in the past. And it just it's so interesting just to hear about all the thought that goes into these things that we really consider every everyday activity. So it's such a fascinating field. And something that I really admire of a lot of urban planners is kind of that idea of working alongside the community. So can you expand on why it is so important to work with and listen to community members when developing an urban area? Sure, and I I like that you said it that way. I remember being at a conference once and hearing someone who won an award say something along the lines of, um, in no other field are people expected to work so closely with the community. 
And she gave the example of like a candy striper, a volunteer in a hospital is never asked to scrub in on a surgery and give their opinion about how things should go. But in planning, that's, that's what we do. We work alongside communities. And it's important because, I mean, you know this in your own neighborhoods. No one knows your neighborhood like you do, right? No one knows what's going right, what needs to be improved, uh, what's missing, what's lacking, what the best parts are. And so um, it's important to have that local expertise. So as a professional planner, I have certain skills I can bring to the table, but I don't live in all the different places that the people in the city of Chicago live. We all live in the same city, but every neighborhood, every street is so different that we really do need the local expertise of the people who live there and who um, live with the consequences of decisions that are made. Definitely, a local perspective is undeniably really important when tackling, you know, inherently local issues. And that's something, you know, even at the ECI fellowship that we run, we truly, really try to emphasize with the fellows to kind of really think about the issues in their local community, which is really important. And what's really fascinating to kind of me about hearing about your journey is before you're an urban planner, you were a social worker. So how have the skills you developed as a social worker helped you in urban planning? They've helped a lot. So um, when I was working in social services, I did a lot of crisis intervention work. And in the both getting my degree as well as working in the field, you do a lot of role plays and a lot of practicing what it's like to sit with someone who's in crisis, or even just have a conversation with someone, be an active listener, work on empathy. And all of those things are important, especially when working in communities. To um, have practice at being calm when other people are under stress, um, to know how to listen and how to listen with empathy um, and effectively listen. And also, I think a lot of times urban planners are in the role of being a facilitator. And I think those skills that you learn in social services, again, talking to people, listening to people, um, expressing empathy are all really good skills for meeting facilitation as well. So even though I don't work in social services, part of the reason I gravitated to urban planning was I felt like I still was working towards the common good, but not in like a clinical setting. But I still think I used all the things that I learned in my years in social services just about every day in my role as an urban planner. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think it shows how, you know, different fields can really connect together and you can use skills from any part of your life to kind of help with, with future endeavors almost. And kind of moving on to a specific project that you worked on. Um, for those that don't know, there's a trail in Chicago called the 606. And this brings together arts, history, design, trails for bikers, runners, and walkers, event spaces and green spaces for the Chicagoland community. So could you expand a bit on the development of the 606, including the reasons for its creation and how you were involved in it? Sure. So the 606 is a great example of a project that came to be because of local community members. So um, the city was doing some planning in the Logan Square community area to look at open space per capita. How much open space is there and is there enough given the density of population there. And in the process of those meetings, so the story goes, um, there was a group who you know, decided to get together afterwards and start talking about this old elevated rail line in their community that wasn't used anymore. And they started thinking about it as um, an open space, a trail to connect the community. Um, and so that the Logan Square open space plan um, was completed in 2004, which is right around the time when the Friends of the Bloomingdale Trail was started at the time the project was the Bloomingdale Trail. The elevated portion is still referred to as the Bloomingdale Trail. 
the whole system is a 606, but the Friends of the Bloomingdale Trail then for the following, you know, little over 10 years until the trail opened, kept advocating for the trail. They would meet with the local aldermen, they would um, meet with other neighbors and community members um, to let them know about the project, to keep the drumbeat going so that people were interested in it and would advocate for it to become reality. They would meet with the mayor. When a new mayor came in the office, they met with a new mayor. Um, and so that kind of steady focus on a project um, was really impactful for getting it built. Um, and so um, the reason for its creation, as I said, the Logan Square Open Space Plan from 2004 identified um, that the Logan Square area was deficient in open space, but that it's a really dense and built out area. So it's not a lot of just vacant land to then turn into park space. And so the city identified the, the, this old urban um, elevated right of way as an opportunity to provide open space in an otherwise very built out area. So those two things coming together were the genesis of the 606. Yeah, that's such a fascinating journey and kind of exploring the intersections between like sustainability and community needs. So expanding on that, could you talk a bit more about how the 606 trail is connected to sustainability and environmentalism? Sure. I mean, I think fundamentally and probably most importantly, it makes use of an asset that was 100 years old that might otherwise have been torn down. So it's a concrete structure and it's filled with gravel and um, then the top with soil. And so had the city not decided to turn it into a trail, they might have decided to tear it down. And then there's all that waste that would get hauled away and put in a landfill. Maybe some of it would be reused, but sometimes the greenest thing to do is just use what you already have. So I think reimagining old obsolete infrastructure as something new is probably the number one sustainable feature. In addition, um, it retains rainwater on sites. It's not hooked into the city sewer system. Um, it's a lot more uh, trees and vegetation than there was previously um, throughout the whole uh, almost three miles of the trail. And then also what it offers people. So it's a, um, it's a place for people to walk, bike, run, roll um, in, a, in, in a community where they might not have had that same type of opportunity before. Lots of people commute using the 606. So hopefully it's getting people out of their car and onto a bike or on, on foot to get from point A to point B. Yeah, definitely. And I think that idea of what you said of kind of using what you already have is is a really great point. And it is almost like upcycling, but on an infrastructure scale, which is really interesting. And then you mentioned how the 606 is often used for the kind of like walking, commuting and all of that. On, on this kind of topic, um, how do you think that we can use the 606 as almost a model for walkable cities? Sure. Um, there's a lot of this obsolete infrastructure from um, bygone era all over the country, all over the city of Chicago, certainly, but all over the country as well. So you see projects like the High Line um, in New York. Um, there are some other um, railroad lines in New York as well. There's the Beltline in Atlanta. I've heard talk of um, a rail trail conversion um, outside of Seattle. They're all over the country. And as I said, all over the city. So I think using the 606 as a model for how to look at obsolete infrastructure, whether it's a trail or serving some other purpose, um, is inspirational for other places. But I think also just the success of the 606 shows that people do want places to walk and bike that are maybe separated from traffic. Um, and they do want to be able to get out in their own city and go for a stroll um, and take in nature. 
Um, so I think it has a lot of different things that can be used elsewhere. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's very fascinating. And then kind of on that topic as well, on just like walkable cities and all of that, why is it so, why are they so important and how do you think we can transition towards walkable cities? Sure. Well, I think given everything that's going on in the world and climate change, I think the less reliant we are on private automobiles, the better for whatever reason, because gas is expensive, because of geopolitical issues, because of climate change. I think we all would benefit if we were less reliant on our cars. And so being less reliant on your car means you have to have other ways of getting around. So transit, biking, and walking are all really critical options for our shared future. Um, and if a place is nice to walk, it's probably a nice place to bike too. Uh, I think also on a on a person to person level, it's healthier. You know, if you're walking places, you're you're getting your steps in if that's important, but you're also just more physically active. Um, I think it's better for social cohesion. You're running into people on the street. You're seeing your neighbors face to face. I think that's something that um, is a, a bright spot to come from COVID. People were out in their neighborhoods more in a way that maybe they weren't previously, and they got to experience their communities and their streets in a different way. So I think having a walkable community is also part of human resilience. When we have pandemics, when we have these other issues that come up, it's nice to be able to go out your front door and walk around for your own mental health, for some physical activity, for some fresh air, whatever it may be. Um, and I think as far as the transition to get there, um, most cities have some aspect of walkability. Maybe you wish things were closer to where you lived, or maybe in some places sidewalks are missing, but from my perspective, the bones are there. It's just making sure that the destinations are also there. So from my perspective, continue to patronize your local businesses. I know we've all gotten so used to ordering everything online and this expectation that we get it quickly and it's efficient. And maybe it is efficient from that perspective, but then we're also collectively lamenting the loss of all these businesses um, over time and during COVID when people weren't out shopping as much, stores had to close down, restaurants had to close. So if it's important to you to have a walkable city, a walkable community, a really great quality of life in your neighborhood, you have to be invested in that. And to me, that means going to the local businesses, taking an interest in what's happening in your commercial corridors, or even just on your residential street to maintain that kind of vitality um, that makes you want to be there and makes other people want to be there too. Definitely. That's a brilliant point. And I think really demonstrates quite well the intersections between kind of individual action but also action in the public and private sector and how we can all need to work together to transition towards a sustainable future particularly in urban areas and on that topic so how can individuals who don't work in urban planning contribute to this field and urban development in their own communities i think we all can so i think when you see a notice about a public meeting, think about attending. Or if you see a survey online asking about your community, take the survey. You know, there are some minimal, easy things that you can do like that. Um, more on the getting more involved, maybe um, more of your time side, you could get involved in a local committee or a local organization that is looking at things like economic development in the neighborhood or in the city, the vitality of the, the um, commercial corridors or there might be a local organization that's focused on things like mobility justice and promoting active transportation. All those things are related to urban planning. Um, I work in transportation right now, so that's on my mind, but there's also local parks organizations that you can be a part of. In Chicago, 
most local parks have an advisory council. Get involved in your advisory council. Um, so it's, you know, it's the old saying, like the think global, act local. There are plenty of ways to get involved in your own community that have an impact on people. Um, and I think also when you're out and you're in a place that you really love and you want to just kind of educate yourself on planning, take a critical look at it. What is it that you like about it? I had to do this when I was in graduate school and we were looking at plazas and I went to two different spaces in Chicago and sat for a while to just evaluate what was working and not about those two spaces. And it was not something that you get an opportunity to do, but if you start to pay attention to the details, you'll start to see what makes one place successful and another one struggle. So even in your own communities, like, oh, I love shopping on the street. Well, why is that? Are there trees on the street? Are there lots of other pedestrians? Where are the businesses located? How wide is the sidewalk? What's the street traffic like? Um, there are lots of things that you can observe and make yourself a more educated consumer of cities. Definitely. I think that just shows the importance of kind of constant reflection about your own community and own life. And I think that can be tied to a lot of areas of sustainability. And you also, I mean, you gave some really great tips, ways to get involved. And we were talking about this at the beginning, how urban planning is really a lot of things in our day-to-day -day life. And staying on that kind of note, you can, you can also assume there are a bunch of different ways to get involved. So thank you for outlining all of those. And thank you as well for being with us today. We really enjoyed this conversation and thank you to the listeners as well for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at EcoCircleINT. And if you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share, feel free to message us using the contact button on our website. If you enjoyed our conversation today, make sure that you check out season one, episode 16, where we interview Nina Himadi about sustainability in the electricity industry. So thank you again, Jamie.